Welcome in to another episode of Too Many Points on the Tell Me More podcast. I'm your host, Mac Moore, here again with Marco Marquez. How's it going, Marco? Going good. Um, AC is broken today, so... <laughs> this is uh, not a good day for that. No, it's not a good day. I don't know if you could see it. I probably shouldn't have worn blue, uh, but if you see some sweat marks, it's probably because... Uh, uh, it's probably because of all the heat getting in through the windows. Not great insulation either uh, in the college houses uh, down here out, in Lawrence. Very, very surprising that they went for the, <laughs> the cheaper solution. Uh, luckily, it's a darker blue. I don't think anybody will notice, but once they do, I will make fun of you mid-podcast. <laughs> um, we're we're going to get started talking about a lot of the stuff we had covered. We had just uh, had the podcast earlier in the week, and uh, it's weird because in COVID, it's hard to figure out how much things are going too fast, too slow. We feel like we've gone most of the summer uh, with not enough information, and then we get to these weird moments where things just happen uh, at an exponential rate. We were talking about how right before we got onto the podcast on uh, when we recorded Wednesday that the Ivy League had canceled its fall sports season, and then uh, all of a sudden uh, Big Ten jumped in to announce it was going to do conference-only games. Pac-12 uh, followed them, and the ACC and the Big 12 are planning to make a decision by late July. And all of this coming very quickly, but I don't know how much has really changed. I mean, I know we've had a couple of weeks of teams getting back to their college campuses, doing workouts, and various colleges have had to shut down due to uh, some coronavirus cases. And I, I, do, I know that's bad. I know people have kind of talked about it a lot. And it's, it's not that it doesn't matter, but to me, I think the big picture, this was already a long shot bet. And I think those first couple of cases, they're doing the right thing, shutting it down. I don't think if football can't happen, it's because of these early cases. I think as you figure out the process and get it to work, then we can see what happens. I just think realistically, this was a long shot bet anyways that they wanted to give it a shot. And right now, as we're seeing them, you know, eliminating conference games, I just have to ask, do you think that has any, uh, you know, potential to be a good solution? Uh, how much does that really change the the probabilities of us seeing a college football season this year? Uh, I think it maybe raises the chances a little bit more because elim eliminating those non-conference games, uh, you know, it limits the travel for the team. It, um, it, and that's the big, I think that would be the big reason. Also, maybe if you need to push back the season, because uh, it's four, there's four weeks of non-conference games. So, so right there, you just cleared up uh, four weeks ahead and or four four extra weeks that we that you could need because like last week kind of jump over to the nfl really quick we talked about how how much time players need uh together at a training camp well college players need that as well uh, they have their own uh fall camps also and summer camps and now they can extend that they gave themselves a little bit more time uh so i think that it helps it i was not um i had no problems with the decision did it eliminate some marquee games that could have been exciting to watch yes but at the end it's for the player safety and that is my major concern right now is just making sure that if it's going to be done it's going to have to be done safe yeah and i would say there's probably some benefit to just cutting the number of games but in terms of travel uh you're whatever travel these football teams have generally looks the same going between conference teams and anybody they're playing in the non-conference schedule they're jumping on a plane they're going to that area they're getting in a hotel and while 
there is extra risk. I don't know if there's more risks and say, let's uh, keep it local and say KU going to some school on the West Coast. Like, I don't think that's much different than, say, going to an Oklahoma state. The biggest difference being the potential of coronavirus cases in those areas, which would be a case-by-case basis anyways. And then I I think if there is a big benefit to this, it's for other sports. It's for something like basketball, where your schedule is much more, uh, let's say, erratic compared to football, where it's weekly. Okay, we know where we need to be. We know where we're going. And... In basketball, there can be three games in different area codes, different places with different levels of coronavirus, different obstacles, and a lot more potential for something to slip through the cracks when you're talking about safety protocols, you know? And I think the weird thing is it could work for basketball, but we saw with Stanford cutting 11 of its sports, uh, a lot of the sports that do have that type of travel uh, issues due to coronavirus are starting to be cut. They're, they're at the very least, uh, even if they're not going to be cut long-term, which is kind of the implication for Stanford there, uh, they're at least going to be uh, pushed out of the way prior to football and basketball, which is it's something I understand because football is obviously the moneymaker um, in terms of figuring out which sports can happen. Those are the sports that are most likely to be successful during this time. Like, if you were to imagine... Uh, you know, the, the various outside sports that don't involve football players running 100 miles per hour into each other, breathing on each other at the line of scrimmage, all of these issues that mean that the play itself is going to be high risk, that the number of bodies is high risk. These other sports don't make the money. At the same time, most of them we've seen at smaller colleges can be played for a fraction of the cost of football. So it's kind of that we've already paid for the football stuff and we need an insurance policy if football doesn't happen. And uh, that, that we could probably talk for an hour uh, about that part of college athletics. But I think bigger for me is just right now focusing on them making this decision as if it will make football more likely to happen. Other than eliminating four weeks of risk, I don't think it's less risky to just play conference games. Yes, yes, and uh, it, like I said... it. Like it gives it gives them that four week span of more time. Uh, it gives them more time in case something does happen, pop up, then they can make a change, pos- another another change. Um, it's 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 tough. It's really tough to uh, know what's going to be happening because you know there could be on Monday there could be another rise in cases, and thus uh, you know all other conferences canceling or not canceling, but now have the discussion of what do we do about conference games uh one thing that i thought about and like you said and like we and like you said um the travel no matter what they're still traveling even if it's conference games what if you were to realign this uh realign the conferences just for one year uh to you know limit the travels how about you put the how about you move iowa into the big 12 for one year uh put uh, put, um, let's think, let's see, let's put West Virginia. Let's say we put them in, uh, maybe possibly the SEC, the big East, bring Missouri back into the big 12, uh, have fun with it. Cause this is an odd year. And I think, I think it would add some kind of entertainment, uh, to the college football fan. If we did get to see, um, newer te- different teams in different conferences, even if it's just for a year and, you know, it could be a test run of what, future conference realignment changes could happen. 
Uh, I don't know if you saw, but um, teams like independent teams like Notre Dame, they they technically don't have uh, conference games. They play out. They they're independent. They play whoever comes their way. I think maybe adding them uh, to a conference this year would help. I don't know. It's it, there's lots of things that could be uh, there's things that could be changed differently with the conferences, um, but you're right. I, it, no matter no matter what, there's still there's still a risk with travel. You know, and I I like the idea of you know mixing it up on a year like this. I think the big thing is like, is the juice worth the squeeze? Because when you compare it to the NBA that decided we're going to keep this as normal as possible. Even with the eight play-in games, we want it to simulate kind of a close to a season leading into the playoffs as opposed to the more radical idea pitch, which was a World Cup-style tournament, which I loved, which I also thought in terms of the way they were playing now, it just it would benefit that style as you don't have home court advantage anymore, so you might as well mix it up because everybody's going to be in the same location. You could pull something out like that where these teams are playing this round-robin style, and it, it, it all kind of made sense. I think for the college, the, the realignment, I still don't know what putting those teams will do travel-wise. You know, It's like other than limiting how long they're on an airplane – uh, most of them are not flying uh, commercial, you know, they're, they're, they're not out there uh, just out there with the public as they're jumping on airlines. And I assume with uh, the problems airlines are having, even some of the uh, smaller sports that were doing that can probably find a way to get on an airplane that's just by themselves. Uh, because otherwise it's like, okay, we have so many uh, empty seats on an airplane. How about we bunch them all together so that the soccer team can jump on there? I'm pretty sure airlines are willing to do whatever they can to get money and that this would be the only place where money is being uh, freely spent is in college athletics if they were to resume in the fall. I, I, I think when you talk about realigning them, it's is the juice worth the squeeze I don't think it would be for most of those, particularly because when you're talking about the benefit of not having non-conference games being the extra four weeks, that tells you they can't realign teams to put them into the the most ideal situation. They have not thought that far ahead. If they're needing the extra weeks, it's like they waited all summer and were hoping it would disappear. And when it didn't, they've come in with very underwhelming plans. And that's they're not the only ones. NFL did the same thing. MLB uh, right now, when we talk about the negatives of what they've had, it's been that they haven't had the uh, ability to turn around a coronavirus test to figure out if it's positive or negative. Some are going weeks when it was supposed to be a daily thing uh, to get tested. That's because they spent all summer arguing over the financials and nobody took the time to fully flesh out how to do this and make sure that not only did you have kind of the the architecture of the protocols in place, you actually figured out how that would be implemented on the day to day. NFL will probably figure it out just because they still have time and they'll get there. College football with how much they're split up. I don't imagine they can get on board for all the conferences. Now where we've already seen it kind of scattershot of who's deciding to do what and the Big 12 and the ACC waiting, I just can't imagine them deciding, hey, let's master this process and do enough that we can be like ahead of time. Let's throw this school into this conference. They just, they're not well organized as it turns out. You know, we, we can only hope. Um, and, you know, I like that the ACC and Big 12 are not going to make an announcement until late July because that right there shows that they're not – I don't think the confidence is as there for the uh, conference commissioners. 
uh, that they're because that right there, that's that is so late to where I think it's either that they're going to announce the conference, you know, just like the other, just like the Big Ten and Pac-12. I think it's going to be conference games only, or there's no season. There's that's the only two things I feel like that could come from their announcement um, in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I would say that's a pretty good bet because the there's there's nothing else that could be decided that is like a game changer. Like it literally is okay, we could probably do this non-conference uh, elimination of those non-conference games idea. But also, we're getting closer to August. We can start to get a better picture. And as we've kind of seen from watching the coronavirus cases, like we can't predict the future, uh, but there's been a pretty consistent uh, kind of conversation around yeah. it. And, you know, maybe it changes when you have something like the Texas governor coming out and saying uh, we need to wear uh, masks to make sure this happens. When you see those changes in some of the people who've been detractors from wearing masks, uh, that could work. Uh, maybe it would have been better if uh, he said that the first time instead of undermining it when they first reopened the state. But we're getting closer. We're getting closer to people making actions that uh, can help this, uh, you know, forget sports, like getting society back to where we can uh, function as well as we can while not increasing the number of coronavirus cases. And that's probably the most important thing is there's not going to be a solution from these uh, organizations that does better than what our society does. If we can't get the numbers down as a society, then there's no sports. Like, that's just how it's going to function. So uh, even thinking that these, they have very smart people that work for all these organizations. Obviously with the NCAA, uh, they're not always working in the same direction, but they have those smart minds. I just don't think that they can outthink their way to getting this to be safe. It's either going to be safe or it's not. And right now it's not looking good. Um, yeah, they, uh, you can jump in Marco. I was going to say the NCAA, uh, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of smart people that run that thing. Um, and it's kind and it's kind of starting to show with the mistakes. You know what? We saw kind of the same thing with MLB. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, who knows what will happen. And, like I said, or not, you got to remember also that they lost the revenue for the March Madness from the NCAA tournament in basketball. This would this would be just this would be just as big uh, as the revenue loss um, if there would be no college football season. It, it, that's just crazy. It's just crazy to think about that they could take those two big of hits in uh, in one year. Yeah, and it's also I mean, so these are two different things though in terms of. Uh, the, the teams, how much revenue they have. Uh, the NCAA tournament is a, a decent boon to a lot of these teams, but its biggest benefactor is the NCAA organization itself. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of college football, the money that is made from the television rights is the biggest revenue generator for Division I college athletics. So now we're going from the NCAA, which can limit its activity, can find a ways around it, can plan for the future, it, it was not as worried when it's losing the uh, NCAA tournament money. It's obviously bad, but they can survive it and figure out going into next year uh, what to do. These, you know, athletic departments that have planned all this, they've already paid for the money. You can't mm -hmm. get out of it. You know, this is uh, a similar argument to what the, the, the baseball owners were trying to make where they're like, we're going to lose money. And it's like, you're going to lose money because you've already went into debt for things that are your decisions. When a college athletic department says that they, you know, uh, can't keep these smaller programs, as I said earlier, 
those programs don't cost a lot of money to run. Smaller schools have done it for a very long time. Some schools, some of the smaller schools, got rid of football before they got rid of those other sports because football was the thing they couldn't pay for. And the money that they are so scared that they can't pay is going to coaching salaries. Well, that's something we've seen reductions, and that can be had. Most of it's facilities. Those facilities, those payments are going to be due. Uh, if we can't get out of uh, rent payments as normal citizens uh, during uh, COVID, like mm. they're not getting out of their facility payments. Like they, or maybe they are. Actually, it might be the opposite, uh, knowing how the government runs, but we won't get into too much politics right now. But I, I don't think that those athletic departments know what to do right now. They will do whatever it takes to get a football season to happen. It's just it, it, it's seeming more and more by the day that that's going to become impossible. Or at the very least, mm-hmm. it's going to put them in a position to get maybe sued, to become kind of, uh, you know, the, the, in the news just constantly beaten down as the bad guy if they try to go through with this anyways. Even as schools are closing down, they're like, football has to happen so that they can make that money and pay those facility payments. Very true. Yeah, of course. So next up, we can talk a little bit about the NBA uh, in terms of I said they had planned things a little bit better. They were a little bit more focused on the testing and less on the accommodations. Uh, we had mentioned it. There was uh, it was going viral uh, right as we were starting the last podcast. Uh, the pictures of the food that was, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we, we tried to say Firefest, but in, in fairness, Firefest was like, two slices of bread and cheese. This is just yeah. underwhelming. They're not feeding them slop. It's just like, if you're going to do this, you would think food would be the first thing you kind of check off your list of, uh, make sure this is covered. Yeah. I, I think I, one of the menus that we saw that, uh, last week talked about with Troy Daniels, I don't think an NBA player's normal diet. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking football here. Cause think of, think of what football players eat. Um, NBA players. I don't think that, you know, some white, codfish a salad and some fruits and a bag of chips is gonna you know i don't i feel like that's a change in what they're used to eating i feel like when you're talking about an nba athlete uh you need some protein on that plate you need uh bigger quantities i feel like i don't know looking at the looking at troy daniel's picture it i know that meal couldn't fill me up i would have to eat more after that and maybe they have access to that maybe they're maybe they can call room service or something but uh, you're right. <laughs> it's kind of it, it is astounding that they were more focused on the text on the testing um, rather than you know the co- the comedies for the uh, players. Yeah, I, I would say that at the end of the day, as long as they give them enough food, like the quality, the style, uh, I assume they'll probably fix that as they get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, uh, we just don't know how these organizations are going to react in these situations. It seems like at the end of the day. Uh, if you lost one year of the NBA, this is still just a money-making venture. They just print money. The NFL just yeah. prints money. So any decision you make, if you're looking at the bottom line of what you're losing this year from billionaire owners, uh, we know that uh, that mentality uh, doesn't make sense. You know, like any step you need to make to make this work is going to be beneficial because one, you're going from making zero dollars to a lot of money if any games are played. So you need to do what it takes, which would mean putting the money into making sure the facilities are top-notch. I don't know what it costs to be at Disney World. Hopefully they didn't just spend all the money on that and forget the food side. And then it, it, it will be interesting to see if that continues with these players, because you're right. Like They need to keep 
the status quo with their workouts, with their diet, mm -hmm. with everything, because there's already going to be so many changes in terms of how they try to play the game, all the stuff they have to go through to make sure they can get out on that court. And these are precision athletes. Like you change one thing, it can throw them off. Now you're changing a dozen things and you definitely, if food is one of the things that goes by the wayside, that's going to be a tough couple months for these NBA teams. Like, you need them to, at the very least, the, like they need the workout equipment, they need the food, and then they need the you know the room to be something where they can feel safe, they can be safe, and then hopefully not get out to uh, go down to any of the bars in Florida. Uh, they need to make sure those things, those are probably the most important things to keeping them well-prepared for this NBA playoffs and to make sure that they deliver a solid product because we don't want to see them out there at half strength. Like I don't like, that's not what I'm hoping for. I did. I did. I did like the comment from John Morant saying he doesn't like, uh, he's not fed by a silver spoon. Cause I thought the rooms were fine too. I don't know what Rajon Rondo's complaining about, <laughs> uh, about when it, when it comes to the room, I don't know. I, I, that's just me, but I guess he's going to be living there for two months. But, um, the whole Paul Millsap thing, having no windows. You just talked about, uh, you just said players need a place where they can go and somewhere where they can feel safe. Uh, Paul Millsap might go, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to go insane, but I mean, you know, I'm gonna, I, no windows in a room. It just doesn't feel right. It just feels like you're, he's, he's kind of in, in clothes, like a, a test subject or something. Yeah, I saw somebody joke, though, that it's like, isn't that exactly where Paul Millsap wants to be? Has he ever had a window? Like, that's just kind of the, the, the uh, solitary soul that Paul Millsap is. Uh, no, I, I, it, definitely that is something that should have been worked out already. And it's funny. I, I think even Rajon Rondo, uh, it's funny to talk about. Like, mm -hmm. it, we don't have to assume that they're woe is me and they're like, this is the worst thing ever. Like most of us in some situation like that, it, it's similar to inviting, I don't know, a national championship football team to the white house uh, <laughs> for uh, a bunch of fast food stuff. At the end right. of the day, it's not awful. I would love to have a fast food buffet at the same time. If you're talking about a situation where that normally involves uh a really good food, a really good spread, and it's a very classy affair, then you're definitely going to make fun of the juxtaposition of having a bunch of Big Macs and Baconators laid out before you. It's not that it's awful, and it's not that it's the worst thing in the world. It's just funny, and it will be interesting to see how the NBA responds. Is there going to be a huge overhaul of the menu? Are they going to do everything they can to accommodate them? Or is it just going to be kind of... Uh, marginal improvements to to make them as happy as possible and uh maybe just give people more t-shirts maybe uh just it, it, it's it's great to see how many are there and uh, i wonder with joel and bead showing up in the full uh hazmat suit uh isn't that just what we should all do i've yet to see a good reason to not do that like i think my cousin jeff posted like shortly after uh all of the shutdown happened in mid-march he was like couldn't we all just wear hazmat suits? And it's just immediate reaction of like, no, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's like, why not? Like worst case scenario, it's like the mask. It's like you're minimizing the risk. And if your best criticism is that people aren't smart enough to use the gear correctly and they yeah. will just touch it wrong. It's like, 
we're going to do everything else wrong without the hazmat suits. At least there's a layer of protection before we screw up. I, I mean, that's my opinion. Uh, I don't expect them to play basketball in hazmat suits, but uh, it, it might have just been smart enough for all of us. to get, You can get a decent set of PPE gear for uh, like 30 bucks. You know, maybe that's the first thing we should have all done. Uh, Amazon would have taken like three months to get it to me after they delivered my computer monitor in a day. But eventually we would have had hazmat suits. We would have all been uh, fairly safe and we could have got through this. But uh, it, it's it's a tough situation for the NBA. They're trying to make it as safe as possible. But there's nothing that when you show it on camera isn't going to look like confusing. It's kind of like the NFL uh, trying to get rid of the jersey exchanges. They're not wrong. That is an action that is risky. Is it riskier than playing the sport itself? Well, no, it's not. So it's all about these decisions that we make, and they're all going to look pretty stupid if we put them on social media and kind of look at them for too long because we're doing some dumb things even trying to make a lot of these things happen considering uh, the, the, the state we're in with coronavirus cases. Anything else with NBA that stood out to you that uh, you want to talk about? We, we, we hit on kind of the, the big teams that we thought would go deep. Uh, is there any other kind of teams that you're interested to see how they play in the play-in and in the playoffs, but you're not, you don't really think of them as a true contender for the title? Uh, like Jackson said last week, the Pelicans going to be a really fun team to watch with um, their youth and, you know, a team that's on the verge of being part of the playoffs um, in the Western Conference, uh, but not quite there yet. Uh, I saw some photos today of Chris Paul at practice um, for the Thunder. Um, last week I said that's a team where they were hot. They were exceeding expectations before the, before the pandemic put the season on a hold. So where, where, where are they going to be when the season restarts? Are, are they going to be able to stay um, as the four fifth seed over there in that conference? Or will we see them drop some more? Um, that'll be a really fun one to watch. I did put my money – I did make my official bets on the uh, Bucks and Lakers making the Ooh. finals. And then I put my yep, and I put my money on the Lakers winning it. So there's no going back. That I, I put money where I put my uh, money where my mouth was from last so week. So I won't ask too many details to try to get you uh, incriminated for any sort of illegal gambling. But uh, what were what are the like structures for if the season doesn't play? I assume it's just money back if there's yeah. nothing actually played. Okay. So, but what are like the parameters for this? Like, if you're picking. Uh, like the NBA champion, it has to be played through to the end. There has to be not the Lakers as champion or you get your money back. I would assume so. If that's a good question. I'd check the uh, fine print, man. You already I put your money down. You know what? That's why I just went, I just went through my friend. Uh, so that's a good question. I will have to got ask. Robbed and you think there's a bad happening. <laughs> you, just, you have no money anymore. Okay. Exactly. You know what? And I've, um, I've, 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 I've used to, I'm used to losing money, uh, during the, during the quarantine, uh, shout out to German soccer for doing that. But, uh, I have yet, I have yet to hit one. And so hopefully that, that I did not think about. I, I'm very, I'm very new to this. So, uh, that, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just wait until, uh, you try to jump into parlays then if you're, if you're new to mm-hmm. sports gambling, wait for parlays cause uh, it'll ruin your life. Um, yeah, I, I think with sports betting, I've, I've wanted to kind of look at it and figure out, even if it's just hypothetical at this point, if I don't want to throw money down, I just kind of want to see where everything's at because this would be the optimum time to be an elite gambler that's putting mm-hmm. the money in the right places because 
usually a lot of Vegas is about information. It's about being able to predict what's going to happen good enough. It's about to be able to read kind of where people feel uh, money should go. You know, like, you know, like sometimes when the Cowboys are better odds than a team that is actually more likely to win the Super Bowl, that's because there's more Cowboys fans that are willing to waste money on it. And it slides <laughs> the odds and there's, there's all these things to predict. Those are harder going uh, into these sports seasons where we had such a weird finish to uh, where the seasons were, were at. And we talk about the NBA and just kind of being cut off and then now jumping back into it put into atmospheres that aren't conducive to normal results. When you talk about uh, being in a bubble where everybody's playing without crowd, you're no longer have a home court advantage. So something like the Lakers, where you'd think, you know, uh, Lakers Clippers at Staples Center is a conference finals I want to watch, but also is one that uh, is a little unfair to the Clippers because the Clippers are really good. There are no Clippers fans. Like they just don't exist. Uh, so you, you get stuck into those, you know, the, those advantages that would normally be there are gone. And when you try to figure out the minutia of how does this bet slide a little bit better, maybe the numbers Vegas is giving out still reflect what we traditionally see, but we're not in a traditional situation. And I wonder how much money could be made from that. But at the same time, uh, it's hard for me to look at a lot of these things thinking, oh, I'm going to put money down on the, the Bucks to win, the Lakers to win, whatever, and we just get the season canceled. Because then I get disappointed not only from the season getting canceled, I get disappointed when they give me my money back. Like, right, I'm going to spend you, the next 10 years telling people I should have won that bet. You're exactly right. Uh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, getting your money back, it hurts a little bit because you really want you wanted to uh, hit on it. Um, I, would, I would be all right getting it back, but... You know, it's the whole point of gambling. You don't, uh, you kind, you kind of go in uh, not caring. That's the way I would put it. That you would lose. You know, the twenty bucks. Well, that's a good bucks. way to describe it. You don't sound like a gambling addict. That's good. Because, uh, <laughs> because you do, like for everybody else, you do care. You're just not smart enough to 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 stop putting the money down. Uh, because even losing the money rather than getting it back, you feel more alive. Like right. it's like winning, losing, not getting to play at all. That is the. The, the gambling philosophy in terms of the, the hierarchy there. Uh, I'd rather lose than uh, them hand me my money back and be like, sorry, no more sports. Not not getting to do it this way. You know, it's funny that you say that because I do see my friends when they do break even because, you know, uh, you know, the, it, that's what happened on the over under. And if they just get, if it's just an even, then they get their money back. They're like, well, what the heck, man? I, they, why they, why it, did it, I do this today? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think of like, the, the types of things that are uh, either adjacent to sports or outside of sports that are still going with betting. We talk about like esports and things mm-hmm. like whether it's Rocket League or like they, they still have like NBA 2K simulations. They have Madden simulations. You can go on Bovada, bet on who's going to win those. And it's weird because I don't really feel inclined to, to do those. Like I, I, I need to know who it is. I need to know that I'm actually going to watch this normally. Uh, I, I think you hear from a lot of people that sports gambling is exciting because it gets people who don't really care about the sport to care for that mm-hmm. game because their money's online. And I guess that's true to whatever degree, but I don't feel that way. Like, I feel like I need the sport to have already mattered. And then the, the, the gambling amplifies it, you know, like it just makes it matter that much more. And so I've looked at different things like 
uh, whether it's uh, the all the other countries that have done better than us and gotten sports going. Uh, I just see games that I'm like, I, I'm not going to put money down on that. I have no idea. I have no idea who's going to win. And I know that uh, my odds of winning are probably equal to the sport I think I know a lot about because uh, we all overestimate how much uh, we can we, we know about sports. And then even if we don't, uh, the whole point of the line is to even out knowing which team's better. So you just you just think that it matters. I just want sports back. I don't need to gamble on sports. Right. I will if they're back, but I don't need to. I just, I really want to watch sports at the same time. Uh, don't take that to mean that I just want them to do whatever it takes to get back. I would like them to do it safely. And if they can't, we just have to be sad for the next six months. And that's when we get to talking about the NFL right now, because it's the one I think most likely just can't happen. I just don't football has the, the highest hill to climb. And right now we're getting the NFL and the NFLPA. They're hamming away on a plan. They're giving us more details. But as we mentioned earlier in the show, the fact that they're so slow to finalizing these details, the fact that there's so many uh, things that are still, well, we're not sure on this yet, uh, that's a bad sign with where we're at. And I know they still have more time than the other sports that are trying to start in July, but you really had time to have kind of at least figured out a framework that you're kind of batting between a couple ideas. It feels like there's a lot of stuff that they just started discussing last week. That's not good. When you're talking about, uh, you know, the number of preseason games or testing protocols, preseason games you can fight back and forth with. That's fine. How do you not already have a set of testing protocols that you believe you're going to go with? Because even if you're going the optimist view, you're imagining a scenario where football is played. That scenario still is going to require strenuous testing. That testing could have already been decided. And while we're learning more and more about the virus, uh, th there's not really been a big change in what is the most effective version of a testing protocol for players that are interacting every day. So when you look at the NFL still kind of batting around these things that kind of should have been worked out already, like – is is that just as scary as the number of coronavirus cases that just you know gives that the uh, average person a, a sign that uh, this season isn't likely to happen? You know, uh, if if everything works out for the MLB and NBA, and we do get a champion of those respective leagues, then an NFL uh, has to delay the season. Shame on them a little bit, because that right there kind of tells me that when this first started, they figured that it was actually going to, you know, end. Like there, there would be no corona anymore now, either because of a vaccine or because or our country did the opposite of what we actually did, um, and now we're paying the consequence for that. So the NFL, and that's what I'm, that's that's what I'm saying. It's just that they should have they should. You're right. They should have had a plan implemented. They they should have things figured out kind of more by now we should see something uh around this time because training camp would have started uh two weeks from now i believe in the july or it would have i'm trying to, i'm trying to think of when it usually does start yeah, we'd, be, we'd but, be pretty close to it right now ex exactly we would already have otas and all that it's 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 one of those things where like yeah nfl has, nfl has to come through if the other two major sports leagues do yeah, and I just I, I think that they should have come through, but I think if a season doesn't happen, that's not really like the sign that they failed because I think the NFL is just the most likely to not happen. But it has to happen for reasons that are this is just not possible to put on with the number of people that are involved mm -hmm. with where we're at in terms of coronavirus cases uh, in this country. We just 
we're not going to be able to have a sport like football. But if it is because of those same issues that the MLB is running into right now, if they got kind of the thing that they had been touting for so long, which is we get to see MLB and NBA run through it first, if those mistakes are what ultimately dooms NFL season, then that'll be a problem. I just it, It's very hard to figure out how you analyze that, how you decide that by looking at what happens. You know, is it is it too many coronavirus cases as the season gets going? Is it too many coronavirus cases in training camp? Like, what would be the thing that tells you that's the reason other than, you know, getting up to, uh, you know, still fighting with the NFLPA, like, August 1st? Uh, there are things that might show you a pretty good sign that they screwed up because they did not prepare for it well enough. But I think at the end of the day, it, it, they they could have put more preparation in, but I think a lot of it's going to come down to the fact that it's kind of out of their hands. Football mm-hmm. is is just not likely to happen. Uh, that is where I'm at right now, and I could be wrong, but uh, you know, I, I think even in a situation where we look at the numbers we see in other countries, football in America – with how many kids would be playing, how many uh, players are on college teams, how many teams, how many players are in the NFL, the number of people involved, particularly when you think that there's going to be some sort of crowd at at Arrowhead Stadium that even reduced size, that is a number of bodies that if if coronavirus is still out there at all, you are increasing the risk exponentially at least once a week, you know, every Sunday for these NFL teams, uh, every... Friday, Saturday for high school, Mm -hmm. college teams, and every practice these kids are at where they're interacting. And if one kid has it, that multiplier effect will doom you in a couple months. You know, it's like that no matter what, the numbers game with football will always overmatch it. And I just, I think that's always been true. And it's just something we've kind of put on the back burner. We haven't wanted to admit because football is just a huge juggernaut. And it's not just about money. These high school kids are wanting to do it just because they yep. want to play. And, you know, right now we're seeing uh, Texas. They've already, like, I think it was Texas. They, there's not going to be any high school football. In Texas, the number one state for high school football has already canceled. Um, but, yeah, I was, when I was early, I was speaking on half of if there is going to be uh, football. But, I don't, but I'm agreeing with you. I don't think there will be. I don't want it to come back until we see a decrease in cases or we do get a um, vaccine. I, but yeah, it's it's it it's what it what it's what brings America together for four days out of the week in the fall in the fall. It's where it, it's the it's the mass gatherings that you said. It's it, it's um, putting more lives at risk. I don't I don't think that there will be a football season. We're seeing everything. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing not the NFL, but we're seeing the NCAA trying to work some way around to where they can have one. But I just I don't I just don't see it happening the way the with where it's going. Yeah, and I mean, I'd like to imagine there's a way to fix it. There's a way to kind of make mm-hmm. it work. It's just I I, I thought from the get go. I thought as soon as we kind of had a general understanding of uh, what this pandemic looked like. It, it just it boggles the mind to imagine a scenario where like it's not that you couldn't play, but to keep it safe and to do it across the country, like eventually there will be an outbreak in your state, in your area. It will put those, uh, even if the kids are in less in jeopardy uh, than adults are, they're potentially able to carry the virus and give it to their parents, their grandparents, the same people who would try to go to a game. 
Uh, I was thinking back to just a, a few weeks ago. Um, basically, uh, the wife and I were out at uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Lawrence, and mm -hmm. like we knew we would be out there and we'd want to quarantine a uh, couple uh, weeks after that. But also, uh, the wife wanted to make sure two weeks out to see her father, who we hadn't seen in the, a long time, and he's uh, like 80 years old. And we mm. have to be very careful with something like that. And that situation uh, is is the type of decision everybody is having to make right now. Everybody is trying to figure out what the risk is involved. And we just know that too often people will, you know, take an extra risk. And that doesn't make them bad people. But when we're talking about a football stadium that's even a quarter filled, when you talk about yeah. the interactions that that's going to increase, not at one site. Like it'd be one thing if it was one site. It's going to be at thousands of sites across the country. So that you know, I, I hate to always hit on a, a just a really sad note talking about football, but there, I I feel like there's no other way to discuss it because it is just hard to imagine this happening, even if the numbers wouldn't have gone back up. Like this was already going to be something that was going to be tough. We at first need to make sure schools can happen before we can imagine uh, football yeah. happening. And I think even at the NFL level, level uh, they don't have the same things tied to them, like a high school, a college that has student uh, students that need to be on campus. I think the NFL is still just so many people and it, it, it just, it, it could happen. It's, it, it's not a good idea, no matter what. Like, I, I, that's my that's my strongest stance. I'm willing to say right now, it's just probably not good to, to have it go down. Um, so, yeah, uh, to turn it back to something more positive, so we don't just sit here in sadness about losing football season. Uh, I, I saw this from Warren Sharp. Russell Wilson has never received an MVP vote. I did not realize that. Um, uh, me neither. That's crazy. Uh, stats that he threw up that uh, tell you why it's crazy. First QB with 200-plus pass TDs, 15-plus rush TDs in first, his first eight seasons in the NFL. Uh, he has been the winningest QB in NFL history from his second year in the league on. So by the end of every season since his sophomore campaign, he has been the winningest QB in football history. That means, uh, at the very least, I'm not saying... I. I I, I won't even go to the the crazy idea that like over the course of six years, Russell Wilson, you know, couldn't win the MVP one of the years. It's a travesty. It's it's awful. How yeah. did he not win it? Because there are a lot of reasons that can happen. You can be the second best player in the league all six of those years, have a different best player in the league all those years, and just miss it by a bit. It can come down to just kind of preference of uh, what you kind of value. But to not get a single vote, like, who's voting? What the hell is happening that Russell Wilson can't get a single vote for MVP after all this time? It's it's it only uh, comes to show more that uh, people around the NFL, especially those who are voting, um, still don't respect uh, Russell Wilson for what he's done. And it's hard because uh, it's also hard for him because MVP is mostly a quarterback award, a yearly quarterback award. It seems like. And when you're and so the years like when Matt Ryan and Cam Newton won it uh, back in 2016, 2015, uh, there's other votes going to, you know, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers in those years. And that's just and that's kind of been it. He's always been kind of that guy who's um, 
been kind of in that shadow in their shadows and um i don't understand that 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 when you had put that in the rundown i saw that i was very shocked because i would feel like a guy who threw four thousand yards and two and back-to-back seasons at least in one of those seasons would have gotten one vote um but it's it just comes to show that russell wilson still doesn't get the respect that he uh deserves yeah it, it's crazy for me because uh, i think there's definitely been years where I thought of him as at least somebody who was uh, an I'm alternative. At least. Yeah, he's an alternative candidate when I when I think of who should have won. When you're talking about quarterback, I mean, there's a lot of guys who have not gotten an MVP look despite having amazing years because we know the league is quarterback-centric and just kind of the way the MVP voting goes, uh, it's going to go to a quarterback. Maybe they should figure out a different terminology Uh, I know that uh, various uh, NFL uh, reporters have come up with uh, different ways to do that. I I think uh, maybe Pro Football Focus has one that's like Mm -hmm. uh, just the all – whatever. I don't even know the name. The name is for somebody else, so it's not describing what it is. But it's just non-quarterbacks, or at least it's around being the best player at your position and could be a quarterback – but isn't judged in the same way because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking, Aaron Donald is the guy who's always at the top of the list because he's just so head and shoulders the best at his position. And then quarterback, it's like, okay, maybe Patrick Mahomes right now could still get that vote. But generally speaking, the there are a lot of great quarterbacks and nobody's really head and shoulders above. So unless you had just this extremely remarkable, groundbreaking quarterback season, you didn't get the vote just because you were the best quarterback in a given year. Uh, I, they, they should work on things like that for those guys. But Russell Wilson is a quarterback that is delivered at the position, that is delivered, I mean, many would say, in spite of what the offensive coordinators have put him into. They have possibly held him back. Uh, the argument goes that he's uh, been more efficient with the way they've kind of uh, limited the offense in recent years. So you could make the argument they've made him better while not making him as flashy. But right. it's also... We know that Russell Wilson, when he's asked to, can make those MVP-type plays. The numbers hold up. The winning holds up. And the Seahawks, while you, the first couple of years you could say was the defense, in the years past, it's it, like the last few years have not been the defense that has won them those games. Russell Wilson has won them those games. And just one vote. That's all we're saying. Like To pretend like he's not in the top one or two, three best players multiple years over the, the the last decade is crazy to me and i uh, just seeing that it was a the best argument i could have for things while football is not happening uh is there anything else nfl wise that has stood out i know we went through all the contract stuff mostly with the chiefs this last week uh is is there anything else that's really popped out other than uh we might get to a couple controversies here at the end before we wrap up no because uh, like you said there's no football going on right now and <laughs> there's a whole lot there's a whole lot there's a whole lot around around there's a whole lot of more news around the world of football that's not focused on what's on the field a lot, a lot of off the field stuff happening uh so mlb uh i don't really have anything on but in fairness i'm not an mlb fan anything that's, that's uh really stood out surprised you in the last couple of days okay so josh vernier who covers the uh royals for 610 sports over in kansas city he tweeted out today that all three catchers on the 40-man roster are on the IL list with less than two weeks before opening day. 
let's get that that's and that and that only that only that only makes the argument more of um how is this going to work when you have to quarantine players for two weeks and it's 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 just and it's just one of those things where we're finally seeing we're finally seeing uh how t- how um how this is affecting the game in the matters of yo salvador perez he won't be there for opening day because he had corona he's going to be out for two weeks for uh, playing we're going to be not seeing key players possibly uh if they do test positive so um that's just the royals right now uh as far as the mlb goes uh i haven't seen anything else with big names but the royals right now don't have a catcher for opening day (laughs) and that's just concerning yeah and i guess the other thing like for you know you talk about the catchers all being out it's like that's the biggest problem is you're not having just a coronavirus positive case that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, eliminates that one player. It's everybody in their position group that has worked with them. You know, like that's the, 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 the thing you're risking. And we, we talk about it like now we're seeing how it works. Like we all knew this like weeks ago. Like anybody that had thought about it for any time at all told you that this was not only a possibility, was a likely outcome. And that's probably going to be the scariest thing with, uh, you know, going back to like NBA is like there isn't a position group that you're losing. The whole team is interacting together. If one person has Mm -hmm. coronavirus, you have to do what we've seen in the practices, shut it down. And that's why the, the whole bubble idea is if it's not a true bubble and one person has it and it starts to move around, like all of a sudden you're going to lose whole teams for two weeks and, we, they've not even told us a possible contingency plan for what happens when a team has to sit out during the play-in games. What happens yep. when the Lakers are under quarantine for the first round? Do they just forfeit? Does all of a sudden uh, Pelicans sneak in and the Pelicans are on to the Eastern Conference semis? Is that how this is going to work? Because they've given us no idea of what the response will be. And they've not given themselves a window to wait like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't even know what situation would happen. in. I don't know if it would be, like, the first uh, round where one team uh, has coronavirus, so you have to wait two weeks for that game, but you're going to play the other, you know, uh, what, seven rounds, yeah. uh, seven, seven series? Like, are you going to be able to do that? And then once they're finished, catch up and have them play their next round of games. If it's the Lakers going into the finals, let's say, and they end up getting quarantined. Do you wait two weeks? Well, there's a very thin window for that. They didn't leave themselves much time if they truly plan on starting in December. And I think the thing that uh, was left unsaid is, if this fails, they're just not playing next year. You know, like, that that's kind of the, the big, or at least uh, we'll wait till uh, the summer and, you know, try to play with a, a vaccine and, you know, start a shortened season that way. But... I think the, the, the way the timeline is set up, they might have to hold off a couple of weeks, but any sort of problem with the NBA being played will lead to it running into the next year. And I think that's where MLB is in a much better situation because worst case scenario, they just stop. They're just not playing, you know? And it's like now our new timeline is next spring. And, you know, knowing the kind of the way we lost – uh, this year, you're not going to be as worried if you lose spring training, but it's okay. As soon as it becomes clear in going into the summer, let's make sure we have everything lined up to get going there. So they have less to lose uh, where the other leagues are kind of, they've put themselves up against a wall here, particularly the NBA. And I, I, I wonder 
I, I just what could be the outcome because they've not given us those possible alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're, you 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 nailed on every point there. Um, and also, uh, players returning from quarantine, they were just you know not doing anything for 14 days. What what's what's their uh, skill set going to be at? Where are they going to be at? Um, you know, stamina wise, um, are they going to be a little bit more fatigued? Uh, you're not. Are you going? It's just big. All are you going to be getting the same person, the same player that you had uh, before um, before they had to quarantine? Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a whole mess. And I feel like at least with MLB, the way the roster sizes are, you you have the spacing out of players on the field. You have more mm-hmm. players that can be. Uh, you know, whether it's called up, uh, obviously without the the minor league system, kind of put a hamper on that, but there are those alternative options. Uh, NBA really is, if you lose that first core, that's the show. That's everybody, you know, like you you could try to bring in the uh, G League affiliate and throw them on the court, but they're going to get slaughtered. You know, there's just, there's not a way to play the game without the main stars. MLB will kind of uh, feel it out and, can kind of get around it. I think without a doubt, their biggest problem is not kind of uh, how the game can be played to remain safe and what happens when people uh, are quarantined. Their biggest problem is they screwed up the initial testing protocol. They screwed up the starting line of how do we get this going? And they should have been ready and they weren't. But I think otherwise, they're also the most likely to get this to work, to get this to happen because the game is built better for that. I think NBA it's it's just a crapshoot, and the moment one uh, case happens in the middle of the playoffs, I think the whole thing comes tumbling down. And then I think the NFL is just one that uh, they're going to try their best and they're going to start, but it's going to end badly. Like that's that's kind of my diagnosis for the three major leagues. Yeah. Uh, and 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 we'll see what happens. But uh, any other coronavirus stuff before we talk about some of the the off the field controversies? Nope, right. that was it. So the first one, and this might turn this into a two hour podcast accidentally, but uh, the conversation has come back up about Native American mascots and particularly Washington's that uh, has been fought tooth and nail by not only Dan Snyder, but if you go all the way back uh, to the founding with Preston Marshall, uh, this is one that I think even if people growing up didn't understand the significance of it, uh, once you kind of take a second to hear it out, hear the problems with it, you know that there's no other option than moving on. This this isn't the Chiefs. This isn't uh, the Braves, the Indians. This is the Redskins that you have to bend over backwards to pretend that this isn't a racial slur. Um, I, that, that's, you know, maybe it's a hardline stance and maybe some of our audience uh, will question uh, that, but I, I feel like it's true. I feel like the when you look at the history of the word, there's no way you can get around it being something that is negative. And I think the, the best uh, reasoning for keeping these uh, Native American mascot names has been that, well, do the Native Americans really care about the names? Well, we've found out that they've hid behind the idea that it's not offensive, but it's been two camps. It's either this is offensive, this is a lot of the, the leaders of the tribes have said, this needs to change. The other camp has been, it's not offensive enough for us to worry about it right now. Yeah. That's not the same as endorsing it, and they pretended like it's a 50-50 split. If you have 50% that say this is awful and 50% that's like, I got other things to worry about, 
that is not a good reason for keeping the team name and pretending like it is uh, positive towards the indigenous people in America. Yeah, and you said uh, that's exactly right um, because you have that other half who um, does find it offensive. And basically you're pretty much saying that I don't care what you think um, or if it offends you or not. And um, I'm all for the Redskins changing their name and logo. I I don't know if Dan Snyder will follow through with it because he's just a he's just a jerk. Um, but you're you I, you you said it right there. You I think you I think you summed up um, where they're at right now um, pretty well. And I, I think for the the Redskins, like it would be, it would do it, better for them to just change it. It would yeah. it would be better for them. And I think at this point, they've been such a bad franchise for so long. It's like a new start anyways. Like, yeah. uh, I think at this point, I, the, the kind of idea when we first saw the press release was they were going to make the move. And then since then, we've had Donald Trump tweet about it. And we know that the moment Dan Snyder has anybody in his camp, he is going to dig into the dirt and not move. Mm-hmm. So that has been kind of worried. But it also started the conversations with those other teams that – uh, maybe are you know not as uh, much on the forefront, but do need to be discussed and need to be handled better. When you're talking, even uh, we are Chiefs fans, and we know that uh, we have seen people at the game that are wearing the war paint and the the headdress, and even something like the tomahawk chop that I can understand. I grew up and not thinking uh, of the negative mm-hmm. implications. Uh, it, it is just something that can be done away with. And it doesn't stop you from having fun at a football game. It doesn't ruin anything. And the, the, any idea that it has been helpful, any sort of the imagery used in sports has been positive and honored Native Americans. You can just look at the, the state of reservations. You can look at the number of indigenous people in both uh, the U.S. reservations and in Canada that – we have not done enough things to protect these communities. So it should be pretty obvious that if you're going to keep a name like the Chiefs, if you're going to do something, having more than one instance of Native Americans showing up for to bless a drum uh, yeah. you know, event before a game, it's like that's not enough. Whatever it is, whatever that step is, you have clearly only profited off the name, and that profit is not gone to the Native Americans that you're saying you're honoring. So... If you were to keep the name, you need to fix that. And I think at the end of the day, most teams should at some point contemplate changing. I think even something the, the, the Cleveland Indians made the move of getting rid of Chief Wahoo, that was a good first step that yeah. shouldn't have taken until 2018 or 2019. I forget uh, if it was just last year or the year before, but it shouldn't have taken that long to realize Chief Wahoo shouldn't have been on all of your merchandise, that that was an offensive logo that needed to go a long time ago. Yeah, uh, exactly. And um, then that was, and I commend the Indians for or, uh, Cleveland for doing that. Um, and you make a great point. Um, if you are going to keep some now as for, for the Redskins, I, I think we both agree that theirs is a more, theirs is more on the offensive side than Cleveland and Kansas city. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So yeah. And so yeah, you're exactly right. Make some donations. Um, do, do something beyond uh, the call of duty. Um, as an owner and maybe that's something that we will see in the future um, with years to come Um, the tomahawk chop i would be okay getting rid of it i 
I think it was something that and it wasn't even started uh, with Kansas City. That was something that came from Florida. Uh, I think it started team, with Florida State. Every team with a Native American themed mascot ends up doing the right. tomahawk chop. So it's not, you know, about Kansas City. It's not something that we created. And even if it was, that's not a reason to keep it. That's the way we've always done it. It's yeah. never been a good reason, and we need to stop it now. Like, that's that's kind of the idea. And it doesn't mean you have to get rid of everything immediately, but you should take some time to think about it and having the simple idea, well, it's honoring. It, we, we've, we've seen some uh, pretty pretty awful ways of honoring the, the, the yeah. not just Native Americans that are the, the mascots of these teams. When we talk about, you know, whether it's like, the Vikings or all these other teams that have uh, these caricatures as, uh, as as symbols, there is some goofy stuff that happens that is not this like, well, we're only positive about it because we love our team. And when you have those problems about people that, you know, it's not the Vikings, this isn't uh, a, a group of people that uh, no longer exist that were, you know, not a, a, a racial group to begin with. We're talking about people who live here right now and have to deal with these images and how they uh, impact their lives, how they impact a society and how that society views them. Those are things that you have to think about. They should have been thought about uh, a long time ago. They need to continually be thought about. How can you improve it if you are going to keep those names? And I will say, uh, like you talked about, you see fans going into games with um, the, what is it, the head... um, I can't think. What's what's the... There's the headdress that they they wear. Yeah. yeah, and and like, uh, don't let him in. Make him take that stuff off. Treat it like how you're treating uh, uh, how how companies are treating masks right now. Um, if they don't have a mask, don't let them in. If they got something, if they're wearing something offensive, or um, out of out of that something that just doesn't need to be uh, something 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 offensive, then don't let them in. Or make them go back to the car and change. When I, we I have dress that. codes that keep people out of restaurants. Yeah. Uh, for arbitrary reasons, I think you can stop people from wearing offensive attire. Instead, their solution was try to not show them on the video broadcast, which they haven't even done that good of a job no. of eliminating that. Uh, the other controversial topic that came up from the NFL, uh, this one's going to be tough. Uh, Deshaun Jackson uh, ended up posting a quote on his Instagram that uh, was attributed to Hitler. Uh, it, it wasn't from Hitler, but even then, the idea that you would want to post that as a fake yeah. quote. Uh, it, the biggest problem being it was uh, an anti-Semitic comment that uh, I think he posted two different Instagram posts, and finally uh, he ends up being uh, you know, admonished by the, the Eagles. Uh, but as that's happening, Steven Jackson, who has uh, you know come to prominence, being a uh, voice for the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, being a friend of George Floyd, uh, he said something that I I think I'm more upset than Deshaun Jackson's random posting because these are Steven Jackson's actual words as he's going on, uh, trying to defend Deshaun and saying, but he's trying to educate people the the truth that he knows. Well, then it becomes, well, what's that truth? And by the end of a Instagram video that he didn't need to do, he didn't need to put this information out there. He spills a very clear anti-Semitic conspiracy theory about the Rothschilds. And that it, he, at this point, it's so strange because Deshaun Jackson has apologized. He has talked with uh, the, the Eagles uh, front office 
and with uh, various Jewish players around the NFL that are talking about how do we turn this into a dialogue to make sure that these ideas uh, are, are, are squashed out where they can be. Steven Jackson is still trying to say that, yeah, he was pointing to the fact that the Eagles, uh, you know, mismanaged the Riley Cooper situation, which mm. in fairness, when you're talking about hypocrisy, they've gone the same steps with Deshaun Jackson they have with Riley Cooper. We'll see if Deshaun Jackson randomly gets a five-year extension in this next year. Then we can start to criticize that a little bit. But they, they are different situations. But Steven Jackson still is saying that whatever truth was there about the Rothschilds, he's still – a lot of his comments sound a lot like when people are talking uh, about how they're not racist because I have this black friend who knows that I'm not racist. And – He's talking about I have the I, there's a Jewish owner of the big three. He knows I don't mean him when I'm saying this conspiracy theory about the Rothschilds that I'm saying is true, even though uh, there is clear fact that this isn't a thing. Like the idea that they own all the banks. First of all, let's just start with absolutes. Don't go with absolutes, and you won't look like an idiot. But he's not apologized for that, and it's so strange because. I, I I want to do everything I can to make sure we're not focusing on this for too long because everything he has done for the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't want people to try to use that as a reason to not listen because nothing he said in that Instagram post changed the truth of what he was saying about police brutality. I don't think it should have an impact on what he was doing. But at the same time as we're holding people accountable, uh, I think it was... Um, uh, what was the Chris Long uh, of the Eagles said? Uh, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, we can make sure that we're focused on these battles and not also letting Steven Jackson say something on a large platform. He has a big audience. He's also doing podcasting right now. So he has a lot of people listening to him. And if you let him say something like that, that goes completely unchecked, or in this case, he gets to kind of undersell the apology. That's not good, and we have to make sure we hold him accountable of that. And we also just have to make sure that uh, you kind of, uh, you know, keep the wolves uh, away that are going to come up and try to use that as a reason to undermine the rest of the great things he's done. Yeah, and it's also this, like you said, he has been a prominent uh, speaker for the Black Lives Movement, and here he is defending uh, a play, uh, uh, a guy that made anti-Semitic uh, comments. And it's kind of ironic in a way. And I, but um, thinking about thinking about it all, I hadn't even watched Instagram video. Um, <laughs> I, because I, I, I had saw, I had seen, you know, kind of the short, uh, kind of the summary of what he had to say. And I was like, I just, I don't, I, I don't want to listen to that right now. And I think even a former Eagles uh, pers- uh, player even spoke out also, uh, saying that the saying that the Sean Jackson was uh, a distraction from the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and it's, I don't, I don't have, I don't have much, um, thought on this particular topic, um, other than, uh, at least he's educating himself now. Uh, did he make a mistake? Yes. But at least he's now taking the time to, um, learn. And I think even someone, uh, even a player like Julian Edelman, he just went to the uh, Holocaust museum in uh, DC, um, I think it's I think it's fine to to start normalizing that. If someone speaks up and um, says says something wrong, but make his but works to make up for it, then I think that's fine. And uh, and that's why I haven't put much focus into this, and that's my fault. 
um, is because I saw that he's taking the time to um, fix to fix fix what he was fix what he did, and um, and I'm fine with that. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I, I agree with that 100. And I'm I, I, seeing the steps with Deshaun Jackson. I am hoping, and it is a process. It's not like mm-hmm. you could have the idea that what was in that Instagram post is okay, and the next day be like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm sorry for that, and understand what's wrong with it." It's like at most you were sorry that uh, you got attacked for it, yeah. but in terms of learning from it, it's going to take time. And he's making yeah. the steps, and all you can do is hope that they get there. So that's what worries me about the Steven Jackson part is he has gave a mini apology and tried to redirect while not actually accounting for the thing that he said that he keeps trying to say is the truth. And that is just an awful conspiracy theory that is pushed out by many of the same people that he's been fighting against pushing for Black Lives Matter. And it's just when you talk about it being ironic, it is very ironic and uh, if if it was just as simple as Deshaun Jackson, uh, it would be okay. We're back to a kind of wait and see approach. Let's hope he learns from this instance. For Steven Jackson, I do wonder uh, how much pushback he's going to get, or if uh, we're kind of going to accept the half-hearted apology. I hope we don't. Um, I, I was going to put on about uh, Dontari Poe. Uh, we talked about it for a second. I, I think we're going to finish up on this podcast, but. Uh, it, just asking for Jerry Jones to to vocalize support for his black players. He's also talking about he plans on uh, potentially uh, kneeling next year. Uh, this this is one that uh, I I I hope that uh, the 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 conversations from the NFL about this aren't just kind of to uh, give them time. You know, the same way they're trying to get time for coronavirus and figure out how to make decisions later. I'm hoping when they're talking about. Uh, you know, considering a black national anthem before they play uh, mm-hmm. the the national anthem at at, at the game, uh, trying to figure out if they can do something similar to what the NBA uh, is trying to do with various uh, you know messages, names uh, of uh, uh, police brutality victims on their jerseys. Like these conversations, I, I hope it's not just to wait till. Uh, it, the the waters are uh, less rough for them. That the the, the the seas have cleared up a little bit. If they get to the season and they're actually putting these things into place and they're sticking behind this kind of change in rhetoric, that'd be great. Also, it'd be a good sign if somebody signed Colin Kaepernick, so you weren't still blackballing the guy that you're now saying you agree with. Um, exactly. I, I I hope that happens, but I think you know, it, does it really matter if Jerry Jones decides to kneel or backs off his policy? Like, is that the first step? Like, do we need to look at the way that the owners that have been very against this kind of uh, shift their opinion? Is that is that going to be a clearer sign that the NFL is ready for change? Uh, yeah, I believe so because it's Jerry Jones. It's not just some. Um, it's not just any NFL owner. It's the NFL owner um, who owns GMs. Uh, who owns NG, he's still the general manager over there, I believe, has that title. He runs everything. <laughs> yeah, he runs exactly. It's Jerry World over there, and in uh, Dallas, in Dallas, um, you know they've had that nick. They've had that nickname, America's Team. It would be huge. I think that it would change the perspective of other owners around the league, um, especially for someone like Jerry Jones in the South, like Texas. Um, and I believe when he kneeled back in 2017, it was after the shut up and dribble controversy uh, or something. With, it was more for the players and not necessarily the Black Lives Matter movement. 
I want to say. I I feel like it it was I, definitely like their first reaction to uh, something. I don't know if it was a shut up and dribble, but it was something that no. at the at the 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 time it happened, like they kneel, and then within a day, Jerry Jones basically says, "I'll never do this again." Like essentially, yeah. like I'm against this, and it was it's that reactionary thing that's the most important. What happens when these owners are given more time to craft? their response rather than I'm just going to do what you asked me to do in this moment to look good. But like, what is your long-term strategy? I think Jerry Jones having as much influence as he does on the league, it will be important to how he responds. And I'm glad to Don Tari Poe kind of put him on the hot seat. And it, and it wasn't that, and it wasn't like he knelt during the national anthem. He, yeah. It was a kneel prior uh, to that. And, but yeah, I think, I think if he, if Jerry Jones were to kneel uh, throughout the national anthem with his players, uh, it would, I think it would be huge. I think it would be a, a turning point and more significant, significant than another owner doing it. And that's not saying that any other owner doing it is not, is not a big deal. It's just, this is Jerry Jones we're talking about. Yeah. And I, I think it doesn't even just have to be him kneeling, but it's the vocalizing the support consistently and yeah. not just saying one time when the pressure's on and then all the comments thereafter being lukewarm at best. And I think if we see that from the owners, and hopefully I think now the biggest difference being at that time there was very uh, select players who were speaking out. There were so many that tried to be quiet to keep the paycheck because they know the backlash they can receive. They saw what happened to Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they know the, the ramifications of that, and I think we've seen – uh, particularly with this uh, last video where you have all of these quarterbacks and you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, like when you have these voices uh, speaking up in a way that says, okay, we know the leverage we have and we're going to speak together as one, uh, you, you're going to see a lot more players this year be able to speak out. And when something happens, when, say, you know, the Houston Texans owner uh, says something that sounds really, really offensive and he's going to try to backtrack it, uh, that is going to be something. It's not a couple players trying to hold them accountable. You're going to see whole teams holding these owners accountable. And when we, we, we know the power that some of these athletes have, but imagine the power when you have 30 billionaires that are tied to these players and they're moving in lockstep with them. That's when real change can happen. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, this season. But Marco, anything left? No, that's all good. All right, well... Thanks for coming on to another episode of Too Many Points here on the Tell Me More podcast. Uh, We're going to be back.